Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Game Changing Smart Cities of the Future, presented by SAP. The best run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. Let's see what the buzz on the street is. Oh, my, street and smart cities, that goes together well. Let's see. Oh, we have a quote from a gentleman named David Barton who wrote an article called Seven Uses for Analytics in Smart Cities. That'll give you a clue. Let me read the quote. The truth about smart cities, and he puts smart cities in quotes for a reason, is that there is only going to be one way that they can become truly smart through data and analytics. The biggest issue that smart cities have is that there are vast amounts of money spent on hmm, relatively benign work, remodeling landmarks, small changes that could be vanity projects using public money. But using analytics and data, smart cities can target where the public money would have the most impact and what work would be most adequate for that. That's judgmental. That's what we're looking for. And that's the buzz on the street. So this is what we're talking about today. Now, I have another quote here from Jennifer Bachner, author of Analytics, Policy, and Governance. And she estimates that, listen to this, 2.5 quintillion, that's with a Q, 2.5 quintillion bytes of data are created each year. Now, the real value for cities and local governments gathering this data comes when the big A word emerges, analytics, analytics insights, help turn that data into actions that benefit People in the cities, constituents, that's residents, that's workers, that's businesses, visitors, everybody. However, some chief data officers, which is an emerging title in the C-suite at Smart Cities, report that the soft stuff is the hard stuff. As they attempt to coordinate data in silos all over city government, how do you bring it together? So our title of this episode today is Smart Cities and Analytics. Tear down that silo. Anybody remember Extreme Home Makeover? Move that bus? That was the analogy. I have a panel of three experts. We're welcoming all three of them to the show, and we're going to have a great conversation. First up, in just a moment, I'll be introducing you to Dr. Sarah Diamond. She's the president of OCAD, OCAD University, Canada's University of the Imagination, and she'll tell us in a little while what that means. And joining her on the panel is Michelle Hovitt, Client and Partner Innovation Director for KSM Consulting, and she'll tell us what her company does. And rounding out the panel is Sarah Marshall at SAP, and she will tell us what her involvement with smart cities is. So let's start with the quotes. Dr. Sarah Diamond at OCAD University sent me a quote from Amelia Earhart. If you're very young, you may not know who she is. You've heard of the Wright brothers, but you might not have heard of Amelia Earhart. 1897 to 1937, an American aviation pioneer and author. She was the first female aviator to fly solo across the Atlantic Ocean and even received the U.S. Distinguished Flying Cross. However, she disappeared at some point in a circumnavigational flight of the globe in 1937, and nobody knows exactly where she went or what happened. Here is the quote Sarah Diamond has selected. The most effective way to do it is to do it. Dr. Sarah Diamond, it's a pleasure to welcome you. How are you today? Oh, I'm excellent. Thank you very much for inviting me to your show. 
We are delighted. We have to thank, of course, Marlon Zelkowitz at SAP, our Smart Cities Radio guru who puts together these wonderful topics and panels, and I know Marlon is listening. So, Sarah Diamond, I'm going to call you doctor a few times, and then I'll just call you Sarah if that's okay with you. Tell me something. How important is what Amelia Earhart said for our topic today? Go ahead, Dr. Diamond. Well, I think um, it's um, really important for cities to move forward with really um, of planning, uh, integrated planning, and to use design as a driving force in imagining the kinds of cities that we want um, both now but very much for our future. And um, I chose that quote partly because it's a life motto, uh, but also because it's, it's really important for us not to get stuck. We need to uh, really, uh, especially in our time when we have uh, issues of resiliency within cities, uh, economic disparities, uh, and uh, huge opportunities, urbanization is sweeping the world for us to be able to really work collaboratively, but also to keep uh, propelling ourselves forward. So um, that motto is about um, having the courage to act, uh, to take some risks, which is uh, very important, but always to manage risks um, in a very uh, thoughtful way. The fact that uh, Amelia Earhart um, disappeared in a way is a, a beautiful um, kind of metaphor for, uh, I guess, the courage of you know, many generations of women who were first in. Um, and uh, I guess now we're in an, an epoch where uh, we no longer disappear. I think there's a a great sense that uh, also um, we need to bring, you know, issues of, of equity and engagement um, and make sure that our cities are uh, really uh, safe cities for all people, including the women who live in them. Very, very well put. You brought in one of our favorite topics on our series, Sarah Diamond, called Changing the Game with HR. We talk about gender bias and how to get rid of it using technology and, and uh, ways that people have not been used to dealing with bias in the workforce. And you kind of snuck that one in on us, and I'm very glad you did. I love the way you said we don't disappear anymore. I like that. And you're probably among a very elite cadre of women university presidents. Am I right, Sarah? Uh, you're correct. Um, unfortunately, um, we're still about uh, between 17 to 20 percent of the population of university and college presidents, and um, that's been a pretty steady state for a long time, uh, with lower, of course. Um, and I'm in my third term as a president. In Canada, we, we have terms, and it means that you basically run for election each time you have a another term, and uh, I'm only one of five women uh, out of uh, 185 presidents in Canada who uh, have actually been successful in achieving a third term. So uh, I'm very uh, proud of my institution for um, um, being willing to support my leadership, but uh, also, uh, you know, it, it's a really challenging and exciting role to uh, try and chart the pathway for young people and be hopeful about our futures and our cities. We're in a big city, Toronto. Yes, you are, certainly. And I'm sure your institution, your your university, is proud that you support their leadership as well. And we'll be talking more about what you do when we get to the segment called What's in Your Cup today. Thank you, Sarah Diamond. Now let me introduce our second panelist, Michelle Hovet. She spells Michelle with one L and Hovet, H-O-V-E-T, Client and Partner Innovation Director for KSM Consulting. Michelle has selected a quote from William Blake. Again, our young listeners might be saying, William who? Blake who? Is this the act? 
Doctor? No. William Blake, 1757 to 1827, English poet, painter, and printmaker. I think he's partially a Renaissance man, largely unrecognized during his lifetime. Blake is now considered a seminal figure in the history of poetry and visual arts of the Romantic Age. I'll just stop there. And here is the quote Michelle has selected. What is now proved was only was once only imagined. Michelle Hovitt, welcome to Game Changers. How are you? I'm great, Bonnie. Thanks for having me. We're delighted to have you. Talk to me about the quote. Are you a big follower fan of William Blake? How did you pick this one? So I love the words that he has chosen. What is now proved was once only imagined. And I think that is so apropos for technology, right? We've all been around technology for years, if not decades. And what we once imagined could be the art of the possible what could be game-changing for cities for um, using technology in new ways is now really proven. And so I love the fact that William Blake is a you know, former contemporary from the 1700s, but he was characterized as a glorious luminary, mm. a man not forestalled by predecessors, nor to be classed with contemporaries, nor to be replaced by known or readily surmisable successors. And I think that's what we're all going to talk about today is about technology, visualizing that technology and the data behind it, and really connecting that back to us as human beings and what we can do in our communities. So to me, it really is not about the technology itself. It's about us being part of our ecosystem, part of our communities, and part of making a difference. So really, let's prove what we're only dreaming of today, and let's make it happen. Thank you very much. Great insights. And I'm very pleased when we get voices from the past that were actually, Michelle, I think we can say that Blake was a voice of the future in the past. So thank you very much for enlightening us with that. And now I'm pleased to welcome Sarah Marshall at SAP. And let me give you a little background on her under former Governor Mike Pence, now the U.S. Vice President. Sarah helped create and lead the first state enterprise-wide analytics hub to move government at the speed of business as the director of BI and analytics for the state of Indiana. And Sarah's here with us today. She's now with SAP. And I'm looking at Sarah Marshall's quote. Oh, my goodness. She picked a quote from Lily Tomlin. You know, Sarah, we've had a couple of Lily Tomlin quotes in the past couple months. I'm delighted to see them. Anybody who doesn't know Lily Tomlin, oh, my, what can I say? She was born in 1939. She's still very much here, very much a force of nature, American actress, comedian, writer, singer, producer. And interestingly enough, she started her career as a stand-up comedian and performed off-Broadway in the 1960s. Her breakout role was a cast member on The Variety Show. And I don't think anybody on this panel is old enough to remember, but I do. Rowan and Martin's Laugh-In TV show from 1969 to 1973. And right now she's starring with Jane Fonda in the Netflix series Grace and Frankie and What a role for her. Here is the quote Sarah Marshall has selected. Lily Tomlin says, I said somebody should do something about that. And then I realized I am somebody. Sarah Marshall, what a great quote. How are you, Sarah Marshall? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Oh, we're delighted. What's your current title at SAP? I don't have it in my notes and I wanted to say it. So what do you do? I am an I'm part of the industry advisory practice for state and local government across the U.S. Wonderful, and that's why you're here. So tell me something. How did you pick the quote? Are you? What's your favorite Lily Tomlin role or character? Are you an Edith Ann quote or uh, or Ernestine? Um, actually, it's not. I didn't pick it because of her. I picked it because of the quote itself. 
So I can't give you a favorite quote. This one is really rung true to me um, because of my past and, and the start of my career. It really, to me, it kind of gets you to think anybody can do something about anything. You just have to put your mind to it. And it doesn't matter how old you are, what your gender is, what your race is. It's never too late or too early to do something about um, a problem. And when I started my career at the state, I was still in law school, just graduated college. And a lot of the stuff, uh, a lot of the obstacles I had to overcome was because I thought, you know, other people know more than I do. I can't do anything about this. I'll let the experts handle it. And I learned really quickly, if you have a heart for people and a passion to do things, that if you put your mind to it, you can get things done. And so I stopped waiting for somebody else to do something. And I picked up the reins and I did it myself. And I think that's a really important lesson I learned pretty early on, but that's something that everybody can take away. Um, It's never too late to do something about something you're passionate about. Thank you very much. Very inspirational quote, Sarah. Do you think there's this uh, lethargy in cities that are not positioning themselves as smart cities where people are saying, well, I'm tired, I'm busy, I have a family, I'm working. We elected these people, let them do something about making the city smarter. Do you think there's that, they don't realize they are a somebody who can make a difference? What's your observation? You certainly have a lot of uh, history with this. Sarah? Yeah, I I definitely think there's that piece in the culture um, throughout public sector where somebody thinks, oh, the elected officials will take care of it or leadership will take care of it. And it just takes a little bit of innovation, a little bit of a spark to start getting and building that culture where other people start thinking, oh, gosh, you know, yeah, I've been here 20 years or maybe I've only been here two months, but I'm empowered and I know that I can uh, do innovative change. I can be a part of the culture. I don't have to wait to be elected to the highest office. I can actually affect change and change people's lives now. I just need to do something and act. And so I think we're starting to see that slowly change. Um, But it normally takes a a little bit of a spark or inspiration or idea, um, whether it's listening to a radio uh, show like this or reading Mm -hmm. a book or reading about another city. You don't have to be in the leadership role to uh, make something happen or make change. Thank you very much. Look in the mirror and say, making a change begins with me. I think that's a paraphrase, a very poor one of a Gandhi quote. Uh, yes, change begins with you and with me. Thank you very much, Sarah Marshall. We've gone around the panel once, gotten the quotes, and now it's time to find out a couple of things. This is our up-close-and-personal segment called What's in Your Cup today. Dr. Sarah Diamond at OCAD University. I'm going to ask you a couple questions. I know you're in Canada. Question is, what is OCAD University and what does it mean, University of the Imagination? I think that sounds fabulous, but what does it mean? And what are you drinking today? Or, Dr. Diamond, what's the drink that makes you the happiest, the most alive of all? Talk to me. Uh, Well, why don't we start with what I'm drinking? Because um, this is something that I drink every morning, and it's Lapsang Sushang Tea. And it's uh, a wonderful tea. It's a black tea that um, is a smoked tea. And it goes a little bit with my Amelia Earhart quote because it was um, an emergency action that Chinese tea makers took when they realized that um, they had to get whole shipment of tea out very, very quickly and dry it fast. It was during wartime. And so they lit 
bonfires and they figured out a way of smoking this tea to dry it and export it and it became the most popular tea that China produced in the international market. So um, that also for me tells us a little bit about technology and innovation and and imagination, which is that um, sometimes things that um, we invent can be best if design is applied, sometimes in the face of exigency, and our imaginations, and we learn how to take technology sideways and better meet human needs, or in this instance, the need for an export market. Uh, OCAD University is the largest art and design specialized institution of full university, undergraduate and graduate uh, in Canada, the third largest uh, of its kind of institution in North America. And uh, we um, teach students everything there is possible about art and design. We also have a very big focus on design for health on uh, digital media and technology, on engineering skills and computer science. We believe in something that's called STEAM plus D in Canada, so bringing that arts capacity, humanity, social sciences, uh, face-to-face with uh, the STEM disciplines and adding design mm-hmm. thinking and uh, foresight, so ways of thinking about our future using data and analytics um, and thinking forward. So that's what we do both in terms of teaching um, and research. And uh, so my day is always started with a great cup of Lapsing Sushung, which reminds me about how innovative the world is, but also how important it is to think globally. And we're in a very uh, changing landscape where it's not only about uh, understanding the needs of users in a North American market and Canada and the U.S. work a lot together, uh, but also in a global environment. So uh, we uh, help to prepare our students to be successful researchers, business people, artists, designers within that world of Lapsang Sushang. Thank you very much. I like the way you tied all that together. Enjoy your tea. It sounds wonderful. And thanks for the history of that, Dr. Diamond. And now we're going to turn to Michelle Hobbit at KSM Consulting. Michelle, what do you do? What does your consulting company do? Where are you? And what are you drinking today? A lot of good questions there. So KSM Consulting Mm -hmm. is a firm based out of Indianapolis, and they bring a lot of awesome, like-minded people together. So it's like a family. And really we focus on making sure the customers are innovative, moving their initiatives forward. And we focus in several different areas, management consulting, both for private and public sector, uh, technology, uh, project rescues, um, certainly a lot of work that I'll talk about today um, with different um, customers, different stories across the U.S. with data, data strategy, uh, project management, and finally, Tying all this together, you know, you really do have to focus this day and age on cybersecurity. So my goal is to tie all the components together. As a client and partner innovation director, I get to bring hopefully the best of emerging technologies to our clients and to our partners like SAP. So in my cup today is not a cup. Um, I'm not a cup drinker. I'm not a hot (laughs) beverage kind of person. But I, like Dr. Sarah Diamond, love teas. And so I'm starting my morning off with a raspberry green tea that I have infused with um, various vitamins to kickstart my day and, and keep me moving forward and hopefully drive some good innovation for this conversation today. Thank you very much, and you already are. We appreciate that. And Sarah Marshall, our other Sarah. By the way, both Sarahs spell their names S-A-R-A. Interesting. And Sarah Marshall, where are you, and what do you love to drink that powers you? You with your law degree and your government experience. We're not going to get into politics, but I'm sure you have a lot of stories to tell. We won't do that today. Go ahead, Sarah Marshall. I probably do have quite a few stories. Um 
Well, I am based in Indianapolis, and so I am familiar, actually, with where Michelle works. I worked quite a bit with KSMC when I was at the state of Indiana, and now I'm with SAP. So, like I mentioned earlier, I travel from the east to the west coast, and I get to meet with a lot of uh, state and local governments and hear about the innovations that they're doing. So, that is really exciting. Um, in my personal life, I am a mom of a teething toddler, and so I am on my third cup of coffee this morning, um, and this particular cup of coffee does make me smile because it's from El Salvador, and uh, El Salvador is a, is a country near and dear to my heart, my family's heart. Um, it's a country that my family's non-for-profit, People Helping People Network, um, go to, and we partner with other non-for-profits around the world, and we recently partnered with a mayor, so local government down in El Salvador, about um, the HOPE equation, so housing, hunger, and health, and education um, paired with faith. And so we work with the community. We work on um, making sure they have water. Make, uh, we just built a HOPE center where we do health clinics. We provide food for them, workforce training and education, and we normally do this under our umbrella of our church or other churches that go with us. And so anytime I drink this coffee, um, it is my favorite. El Salvadorian coffee is one of my favorites. It does make me smile because I think about all the trips, and um, we've been going for almost two decades now, and um, it's, it's a big passion and big um, thing that I do on the side. Very nice. It sounds like it's a very important part of your life. Thank you, Sarah Marshall. And I am drinking cool, clear water in a cool, clear mug. They do not let me anywhere near caffeine, even near decaf on radio show days. And ladies, you are my second show already this morning, so Tuesdays are a busy day. Guess what? We're going to take a break. The pause that refreshes, as they say on Somebody Soda commercial. You're listening to Game Changing Smart Cities of the Future Radio. If you want to join the party, I'm tweeting here at hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Also with the handle S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. And shout out to, let's see, we've got uh, Marlon Zalkowitz at SAP, the sponsor of this series. And she is tweeting at M-A-R-L-Y-N-Z-D-C. So if you're looking for her, that's where you can find her. And we're going to go take a quick break. Our topic today, very interesting. I'm, I'm intrigued by our panel because they're ladies of such depth and accomplishment and insight that we are, we've expanded the topic. We started out talking about smart cities and analytics and data tear down those data silos, but we're now talking about inclusion, empowerment, leadership, uh, engagement of everybody in the smart city. So it's it's a bigger topic than we even thought. Dr. Sarah Diamond, Michelle Hovitt, Sarah Marshall are my three wonderful panelists today, and we'll be right back. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. You know the drill. 90 seconds. You don't want to miss it when we come back. Justin, out. it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The digital world is moving faster than ever, and the future will be defined by how quickly city and local government leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. The definition of future success is being shaped by many factors, such as increased citizen and business demands for digital services, a growing variety of digital devices and sensors causing a data deluge, and increased volatility in politics and environment, coupled with constrained resources. Join our experts as they analyze 
analyze and discuss how the digital world can lead to a better future for everyone. Game-changing smart cities of the future is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. You're listening to Game Changing Smart Cities of the Future, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Game Changing Smart Cities of the Future. Yes, indeed. And we're back after a quick break with Dr. Sarah Diamond, Michelle Hovitt, and Sarah Marshall. And I'm still Bonnie D. Graham. We're talking about smart cities, data, and analytics, but we're discovering many topics related that are also very compelling and engaging. Dr. Sarah Diamond is going to start the roundtable with me. We're going to talk about design thinking, but I want to make sure each of our panelists make sure we bring in the concept that data is siloed. It's sitting in different pockets around cities that want to become smart. So let's be sure we bring that into the conversation. Here's what Dr. Sarah Diamond told me where we're going to start the roundtable. She says, we need to approach the future of cities from a design thinking perspective. We need to imagine the future state of our cities and design toward these goals. Dr. Diamond, please take it away. Yes. So um, design thinking is um, a set of methodologies that come out of best design practices, which really engage with um, users, different kinds of users, people who um, need to be able to take advantage of a system or a process or a technology, and uh, looks towards the future, so brings those people together and using a whole series of tools um, and uh, foresighting techniques as well, which very much looks at data um, and uh, pulls trends out of these processes, helps people collaboratively imagine the kind of future state they want to achieve together of what their city can and should be. So this is a methodology that's really critical because it allows people to speak across those silos, um, whether those are city departments, uh, whether they're residents of the city, or uh, whether they're politicians as well. And uh, one of the really important opportunities with cities is to build a very strong leadership. So you can't transform a city without a strong, committed leadership. But equally, and my colleagues have spoken about this, to also work you know, from the bottom up, from the ground up, to engage citizens in helping to imagine their city. And we have a lot of tools now, thanks to, to social media, which mean that we can mobilize opinion, help people to think forward, and also use much more focused roundtables and other kinds of processes to help us think about what a city should be. We need to constantly update that vision, but we really need to have a vision that's a coherent, cohesive vision that can pull together those different kinds of uh, data that we need to then think in coherent kinds of ways. When we engage with technologies in the city, we want to have a better quality of life. We want to support our families. And I'm, again, struck by my colleague talking about the work she does, um, you know, both as a mother raising her children, but also um, in supporting families in another country. We want to make sure the good things don't disappear. Health, 
schools, culture, safety, affordability. So quality of life is part of what we need to design in, as well as efficiencies for our governments. Thank you very much. Very eloquently put. Michelle Hovitt, love to get your thoughts on what Dr. Diamond just talked to us about. What do you think? Well, I think she's spot on, and I totally agree with her thoughts around using design thinking. It's a methodology uh, that I used when I was with SAP working with Sarah Marshall and also one that KSM embraces in almost all their projects. So starting with the outcome in mind, you know, what is the impact to your customer's customer, if you will? And in this case, when we're talking cities, what are the impacts to the citizens, to how they interact with the city in their daily lives? I mean, it's about um, what does it mean to live in this community? And, And if you think of government at the largest sense, government is a geographic industry industry, correct? You know, you have Mm -hmm. a city with boundaries, you have a state with boundaries, you have a country with boundaries. And within those boundaries, you have people, systems, things that work together. But sometimes I think the the lines get blurred because government typically is handed resources, mainly in the form of funds. So we have taxes coming in, we have permits, fees, fines, that type of thing. And you have government employees. I was one for 20-plus years in city government trying to make a difference. You're giving these, giving these resources. They're handed to you, and you're trying to do the best that you can with them. And so many times when you're in your office at City Hall trying to figure out what is the best use of this resource, how can I, as a CIO of a city, engage in technology and deliver better services, smarter, quicker, faster, that type of thing, sometimes you don't put yourselves in those citizens' shoes. What is that experience? Mm-hmm. How busy are they? in their daily lives, how would they like to interact with the city? Is it simply just throwing out another app or another website or something else, or is it something much bigger and broader? So I absolutely agree that using design thinking to get to the right outcome, uh, to the right deliverable, and not waste the precious, precious resources that are sent your way is key. And again, I think that then is the bridge that goes across these geographic boundaries that we've imposed. So you know, doing things at a city level that could be shared at a state level, at a national level, and to Dr. Dr. Sarah Diamond's point, at a global level. So all of these things are readily transferable now that we're in this connected digital global age. Thank you very much, Michelle. Very interesting. Sarah Marshall, you've been, you have been channeled, I think, in this conversation. What do you think about uh, the discussion we're starting that Dr. Diamond introduced? Thoughts? Yeah, so I, I love design thinking. Um, we did it at the state of Indiana when I was there um, around a a redesign of our website. Um, The hub that we created was called the Management Performance Hub. It was codified this year, um, which was very exciting, so it has longevity. But we were really trying to reimagine what this portal would look like, the citizen being citizen-centric. And I think sometimes we're our own worst enemies in public sector. We get so entrenched in wanting to do good and wanting to help and so laser-focused on our job and getting things done that we forget to take a breath and we forget to Mm -hmm. say, what really is the problem? What's, What's the issue facing the single mom out there or the veteran or the you know, a family with two kids, what what are their issues? What are they wanting? How are they going to interact with government? Um, we start to think, okay, well, we know this because it's our daily lives. We're the experts, and we mm-hmm. need to ask them. And that's one of the things I love about design thinking. Um, when we did it at the state, we brought in some business owners, and we brought in some different um, 
types of citizens from around Indianapolis uh, just to get their perspective and to get outside of our own mindset and to really get at the root of the problem. What were they struggling with? What were their needs? Um, instead of asking it ourselves or taking ourselves also out of our comfort zone, our daily job. So that's my favorite part about design thinking is really getting outside of your comfort zone, thinking about problems in a new light, um, working with other people that you might not normally work with that really open your mind and get your brain going and get you energized and refocused. And really it, it kind of um, it, it helps you focus back on the why you're doing um, your job in the first place. And so I love it. It worked really well in the state. We had some great momentum out of it and came up with some uh, new projects that we did and are that are continuing. So I'm a big believer in it. I'm excited to keep doing it. I know SAP promotes it uh, constantly, so I'm hoping to get some more training. They have great resources and bringing it to more local and state governments um, to give them the same experiences I got to have in the state. And Bonnie, Thank this you is very Michelle. I would yeah. echo what mm-hmm. Sarah Marshall just said as well. I was a participant in that design thinking, redoing the, the state's website, and my favorite participant was a high school student. <laughs> he really kept us uh. on track and made us think about, you know, not current technologies, but how he likes to interact and do things quickly in the future. Thank you. Going back to one of Dr. Sarah Diamond's opening comments, women are not going to disappear anymore. I think it's important to make sure that these the impetus from these high school students, you just like the one you just mentioned, Michelle Hobart, they don't disappear either, that they keep speaking up and keep being part of the process. Am I right, Michelle? Absolutely. I, I think we're dealing with you know five de- generations in the workforce right now, mm-hmm. and you think of the um, millennials you're working with and others that have grown up literally with a piece of glass in their hand. They're not even as accustomed to keyboards as we were. And, you know, mouses will go away, new technologies as far as chatbots, you know, using your Alexis, your Siri, and new ways to get questions answered instead of having to type them out and do things is, is all coming in the door right now, and these new generations are definitely not going to let us forget about those. There you go. They're part of what's driving all this change. Now, Michelle Hobart, I'm up to you, but uh, Dr. Diamond, anything you want to say to wrap up that topic before I move to something from Michelle Hobart's list? Sarah? Yeah, I I mean, I I just think it's um, such a great opportunity to um, um, hear the voices of those who are not always represented, and um, Toronto has a fabulous library system. Um, It's the most um, digitally um, capable um, in the world, and it's got um, all of these community hubs, and they use a lot of design thinking methods to um, plan forward, but also to engage populations who actually are highly creative but have, you know, for historical reasons, essentially been on the margins of economic well-being, for example. And uh, I think that these tools are really important for us because uh, it's been well said by others, but it reminds us um, of experiences that are, that are not ours, and uh, that's always critical. And we're designing technologies as well as systems. And, and Thank you, Sarah Diamond. Michelle, I'm looking at your notes here, and I found something interesting. You say governments need to not only look outward for becoming smart, but also inward. And uh, I'm going to go down to a note here in this paragraph. You say so many times you've worked with organizations standing up hackathons and pushing for data to become open on a catalog only to hear from internal agencies they have been wanting that information to. What's the frustration level? Tell us a little bit about that reality check. Michelle Hovitt? So absolutely. I think we talked about at the very beginning tearing down those silos, right? And Mm -hmm. I think 
what has inherently happened over time in government is not deliberate, deliberate in nature, but it just has happened. So you bring in experts in different agencies, different departments that really do want to make a difference, that do want to deliver services. And over time, you just become laser-focused on those things, and you forget about your peers even across the hall. And so what I've seen when I've stood up hackathons, many of them, um, in Colorado and across the U.S. with customers, is the fact that you start sharing data. So you create an open data portal. You put data sets out there that could be of high value for different reasons. And you have people coming together looking at the data saying, wow, I didn't know we had that data. I didn't know we could use it, or I've been asking for that data. And in some cases in state agencies, I've had departments that literally live across the hall from each other, and one um, department actually has to, by mandate, uh, upload data to the federal government, and then the other department across the hall then has to use that data, but then they buy it back. (laughs) So if they would have just walked across the hall or (laughs) used data in new ways at a hackathon, you know, seeing the art of the possible, bringing big data sets together, I think it opens up eyes of people, and again, internally as well as externally. And I've used this even with prior experience with the city I was at when we were trying to get to key performance indicators, making sure we're getting to the right outcome for those citizens. If we're looking for things like bringing various types of jobs to the city, so if we wanted high-tech or medical-type jobs along a certain corridor in the city, how do we really know we're getting that uh, type of transaction happening in the city? How do we know we're growing that appropriately? Well, it takes information from across multiple data sets to get that from economic development to permitting to other areas. And so I think, you know, just breaking down those silos, letting people think about data new in new and interesting ways and visualizing it. I mean, we're here to talk a little bit about analytics and being able to see what they couldn't see before. You know, if it's buried in a database in a spreadsheet or if it's a report that's always been printed out, it tends to keep those silos built up. So I'm hoping we can come up with some creative ideas to share with the audience today and breaking down those silos because they are out there, um, not deliberately, again, but I think yeah. just the nature of government. That, that was an interesting point. You said not deliberate, not intentional. In other words, no malice of forethought. It just it just develops that way over time. Very interesting. Walk across the hall. You know what they say. Stop with the email and the texting. Pick up the phone and call somebody or show up at their desk, knock on their door and say, hi, it's me. Can we talk? So going back to old-fashioned sharing of communication, Sarah Marshall, love to get your thoughts on what Michelle just talked to us about. Yeah, so... I mean, I think on that last point, the not deliberately, you know, government for a long time didn't have the technology to really collaborate um, across agencies or across branches. They really operated as individual business units. And a lot Mm -hmm. of that was because they did payroll on paper, all their budgeting was on paper, performance was on paper, and it's just not as easy to share across. Um, agencies in in that environment, and what we've seen in the last you know decade, um, really since I've been in the workforce, what I've seen has been technology is now affordable enough to enable those silos to come down, and that to me is really exciting. Um, we can start looking at problems holistically where we couldn't before. And so that's part of the culture thing that we hit on a little bit earlier um, during the quote time. Um, I don't think that it's 
people don't want to be innovative or people don't want to change. I think that in the culture, people are used to doing their jobs or used to staying in their lanes. And we're just now getting to a point where those lanes are becoming blurred and we're starting to think of new ways to do things and using technology to enable that discussion so we can start looking at um, problems, you know, around whether it's utilities um, and commodities to health issues on drugs and recidivism, um, you know, Problems don't happen in silos. Um, a mom that needs help for health care is probably not the only thing going on in her life. So what else is affecting her? How else can we um, look at this issue? And I think that most people working in public sector, they have a servant's heart. They want to help. And so that why part is a huge part of the focus to tear down these silos because you can get around the well, we want to help people um, and get around those conversations, but the data sharing is not going well, or but we're already doing this program, you know, hearing the buts a lot. Um, now you can say, yeah, I know. We now have new technology to enable. Let's change the discussion. Let's all get around the table. Let's collaborate. Let's help these people break down those silos, act as one government. Um, you know, government gets its funding from us taxpayers. And to me, government should be better ran than any organization, any corporation out there, because it's our money. And they should, you know, spend every single dollar as wisely and efficiently as possible. And it's really exciting because I think we're going to see more and more technology come up in the uh, next few years that's going to continue to enable this and really catalyze it to happen at speeds that we've never seen it happen before. Thank you very much, Dr. Sarah Diamond. Got to get you in on this. Thoughts? <laughs> Yeah, so I, I, I very much like the direction, um, you know, of this conversation. Uh, one of the things that a number of cities have done really um, effectively have been to create um, a mayor's incubation lab or an innovation lab of some kind that has a direct relationship with the mayor. So uh, Boston has done this. New York has a great history there. London and Toronto's now followed suit. And it means that you can actually assemble both uh, the data experts, some um, really great designers, and people from key uh, components of the city to work together in a highly collaborative environment. And so those data holders are actually around the table, and they're able to say, okay, here's the problem we want to solve Let's um, put our minds to it and let's do, let's run the analytics. Um, let's use the computational and visualization tools to do some effective pro prototyping about how we might approach or might solve this problem. And uh, I think that uh, it's important, again, to have that leadership you know, at the top, but then also to do a lot of work within the civil service to help to retrain people and equip them with the kinds of tools that they need to be comfortable with their data and with the analytics. And Fortunately, when we talk about the evolution of technology, there's more and more capacity for people who are not um, analysts to be able to work with tools that provide them with decision-making um, opportunities working with data effectively. So I think what we're seeing also is a democratization of um, mm -hmm. the ability to use analytics effectively and certainly to use visualization both to make decisions but also to re-engage with the public and to be able to explain to people why decisions are being proposed, what alternatives are to run simulations that provide neighborhoods or groups or 
even, you know, subcategories of folks who um, need to see change in their neighborhood with why um, and how change can occur. Um, so I think we're in a very exciting era in terms of data, and um, there's um, also really importance to bring together both innovation thinking around cities and uh, thinking about resiliency. And one of the really uh, important initiatives uh, Toronto has taken is to create both a chief innovation officer and a chief resiliency officer and put them together within this innovation lab that reports to the mayor. So they're looking at how to uh, really plan effectively to the co- with the kind of challenges that cities face. You know, cities um, in the 21st century really are, in many ways, the most important experiments that we have for democracy, mm-hmm. uh, for engagement, for transformation. It's where citizens are close to their governments and they care about decisions because they, they can see the impacts. You know, the further away you go to the state and the, and, and the national level, the more alienated we are in many ways from, from how power works and decisions are made. So it's a great experimental opportunity for us to have success and change. Thank you, Sarah Diamond. Very, very inspirational. Thank you for that. Michelle, I'm going to let you wrap this one up before I move quickly to a topic from Sarah Marshall's list. Michelle, anything you want to add? Sure. And I think this day and age, piggybacking on both what Sarah um, Marshall has said and Dr. Sarah Diamond has said, is the fact that we are seeing leadership like Boston. Mayor Walsh, for example, uses technology in his office. He has six big screens in his office. And at any given time, he can see what's happening in a city. So he has been driving from a top-down approach, being able to see through data um, different indicators in different neighborhoods, um, what's happening, giving it an overall quality of life rating. And so I think we've, the tide has changed. It has turned. We have leaders that are coming in the door with this expectation. And we also have leaders that are enabling things like Dr. Sarah Diamond talked about with bringing in the right type of stakeholders to bring the siloed information together. And one new interesting role that I'm seeing come up is called a chief transformation officer, really Mm -hmm. taking data from a digital perspective and transforming it across the organization, breaking down those silos. So I think we're going to see more and interesting roles, certainly in the future in cities, um, at the heart of where people live. Thank you very much. Very interesting. And I'm going to move on quickly. We're almost at our crystal ball predictions round in about four and a half minutes. Sarah Marshall, I'm looking at here something very inspirational from your notes. I'm on an inspirational bent right now. You say in innovation projects in the public sector, and we're focusing, of course, on smart cities, you had a rule. You must have a win every 90 days. That was your mantra. That was your requirement when you were in public sector. Big or small, having these wins helps others not write you off as just another person with great ideas who can't get anything done. What's the importance of having this? And how do you do a win every 90 days, Sarah Marshall? Got to get a little insight. Go ahead. So as you mentioned before, I worked for um, then-Governor Mike Pence. Uh, so everybody on the show, we're not talking politics, but you can assume right. um, I was political, still am. But when you are working for a politician, you only have so uh, – we didn't have the luxury of knowing if we were going to go beyond four years or not. Um, so there's a time limit that you're working against. When you go in with a new administration, um, this was on the state level, but I know that it can be true on the city level, although they might not have the turnover rate the state does. Normally they don't, at least here in Indianapolis. Um, 
You know, people start to they start to think that oh, you're just talking, or oh, you say everybody comes in here with their priorities. Everyone says they're going to do all of this stuff. You know, that's part of the stump speech. So that 90-day mantra, and my team would probably roll um, their eyes mm-hmm. hearing that because I just every Friday that was what I said over and over to them. But it was really critical for our success. So that way agencies um, and employees knew that we were actually doing what we said we were going to do. It helped us really change the culture. And without those wins, people would just assume, here's another person that's part of a political team that's all talk, but they're going to be gone. So we don't have to worry, and we don't have to Mm -hmm. necessarily listen to them. We'll wait them out. Well, that was not what we wanted to happen when I was at the state. We wanted actual movement. We broke things up into milestones. We looked at how we could help agencies. If it was a long-term project, what was something we could turn around quickly uh, that maybe we weren't thinking about? It's kind of the design thinking principle, thinking about how you go about even your project management in a new way. And so really those short sprints were really important. Planning was really important. Being agile and flexible was very important. So if you weren't going to hit a 90-day goal, you better find something else that you could hit, and that would be transparent to other people, whether it was citizens or agencies themselves, so you could gain traction. Um, it was a traction is also a book that I've read uh, in the business world when I was in private industry. Highly recommend it. Talks about those rocks or milestones and how important they are on building momentum and the culture and actually getting things done. Thank you very much, Sarah. And I just want to add one more note here. We are technically already in the predictions round, but one more comment from your list. You say define the problem first, then apply technology. We'll have to take that up on another another thing, another show. And I found the book Traction, How Any Startup Can Achieve Explosive Customer. I'm not going to be able to read the rest of it because it's, it's truncated here. I think that's the book you're talking about, Sarah? Yes. yes. Okay, good. Everybody go Google Attraction, the book on Amazon.com. So, Dr. Sarah Diamond at OCAD, we're ready for your prediction. I can give you a whole 60 seconds. What do you see coming down the pike, the proverbial or virtual pike, in terms of smart cities, data, analytics, innovation, inclusion, diversity, motivation, uh, getting things done? Let's say between any or all the above. I'm giving you 60 seconds. Uh, Any or all the above, let's focus around the year 2020. It's only three. Three short years away or less. Go ahead, Dr. Sarah Diamond. Predict, please. 60 seconds. Okay. I, you know, I think we're going to see um, more and more alliances between cities that where they work together to develop strategies that um, meet their needs, not only within their own urban region, but um, across larger regions, and where they collaborate to be able to work between startups, Uh, large technology companies, and uh, design as an overarching methodology to be able to affect regional change and change that is shared between cities. I think we're going to see more and more of the tradition, the old multi-multi-millennium tradition of city-states collaborating together for the benefit of society. Thank you very much. Very well put, as always. Michelle Hovitt, I'm ready for you. I can give you a whole big 60 seconds as well. Go ahead. Perfect. So I I really think the lines are getting blurred now in what we call smart cities. And to Dr. Sarah Diamond's point, 
there is going to be in our jurisdictional collaboration, but we're going to see input by citizens, just seeing the turnout that we ha- we've had over the years with hackathons and people trying to make a difference in their own backyard. And, you know, I'd urge the listeners to think about the so what factor. So what does that mean in my backyard? What does that mean to me, and how can I make a difference? Because that's going to happen with every citizen coming in the door, and I think we really need to twist this a little bit more and think about the emergence of new technologies and how rapidly they're coming in with data growing at 2.5 trillion bytes of data a year. I mean, that, that turns quickly into zettabytes of data, and how will we analyze that from devices out there in the fields that will be happening with Internet of Things, so different sensors. Right now, on average, we get uh, have interactions with about 200 things a day. It could be your smartphone, it could be your laptop, it could be your garage door opener, other types of smart devices. By 2020, um, I count on that being about 2,500 different interactions a day or about one every 30 Mm -hmm. seconds from your smart bed to your smartphone to smart other things. How do we filter that noise? How do we use it? How do we make that data accessible, filter through it, and make our communities a more livable, sustainable work environment? So lots of fun things coming with chatbots and other ways, not just visualizing data, but also listening and asking questions of technology. Thank you very much. And Sarah Marshall, I saved a whole big 60. I, you know what, Sarah Marshall? I can give you 90 seconds because they were so concise. It's a gift. Go ahead, Sarah Marshall. <laughs> I think we're going to see a conversation shift. It's, it's starting to uh, on the technology front from, no, we can't do that. You know, A few years ago, cloud was not a big topic in government. It was, no, that's scary uh, data sharing, oh, that's scary, we can't do that, here's all the laws. And we're going to see a faster change in that conversation to, yes, we can, how do we do it? How do we enable these technologies? And we're going to see private sector, I think, come more into play here in partnership, especially on the city level, because it affects your daily life so much. It's going to be, how can we do this? How can we use technology to enable us to solve this problem um, in new ways that, you know, in three years might blow our minds right now. And so I think that's really exciting. I think the conversations that are going to happen and are starting to happen now are really changing the way that government is running. I think it's going to run better than business is my hope. And maybe in three years we'll be there. My guess is that we'll still continue to have these great conversations and, um, Think of new ways to drive innovation to ultimately help people and get people the help that they need. Thank you very much, ladies. And I have to do not only a sincere thank you to the three of you, plus Marlon Zelkowitz, of course, for putting together this wonderful panel. But we've had some active tweeters here. Uh, KSMC Consulting has been tweeting. Thank you. Marlon has been tweeting. At underscore Digital Futures has been tweeting. And someone named Tech Now or Never. I want to thank all of you for humming along with us, if you will. Thank you very much for capturing the wows, the words of wisdom from my guests. I want to thank Justin Jackman. Haven't talked to you in a while. Justin is our engineer today filling in for Kevin Gassman. Thank you, Justin. And earlier we had Aaron at World Talk Radio. So thank you to our engineers. I have one minute to close here. So I'm just going to say to our audience how much I appreciate the wisdom and the words and the insights from Dr. Sarah Diamond at OCAD University, Michelle Hovitt at KSM Consulting, and Sarah Marshall at SAP. And here is my call to action. And I mean it. Fasten your seatbelt. 
especially if you're driving through a smart city. You're going to need it. What are you waiting for? Who knows about those cameras and what's going on? What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Dr. Sarah Diamond, just like Michelle Hobart, just like Sarah Marshall. Signing out, I'll be back 11 a.m. Eastern tomorrow, Wednesday, here on the Business Channel with another live edition of Coffee Break with Game Changers. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Game-Changing Smart Cities of the Future, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.